the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, a lot, a lot to cover today. In a few moments, uh, we will, um, uh, I will give you an update. Uh, well, and what you need to know today, I have to say, very important, very important what's happening in the country and especially what people are feeling about what's happening in the country. And uh, I have an idea that is going to, I think, encapsulate uh, what's happening uh, for you. And then we will uh, spend a few moments. We'll talk with a guy named Glenn Beaton. He is a columnist or was a columnist uh, for the Aspen newspaper, the weekly newspaper, and he got fired. He was the only conservative on the staff there. He got fired and he got fired. And so um, he had to uh, start his own blog, which he's doing. And he wrote a book about it. And it's very cool. So we'll talk with Glenn Beaton and then we'll catch up with John Schlafly. John Schlafly has got a column this week with his brother, Andy, and we'll see what he has to say about what's going on. But first, what you need to know and what you need to know today is um, there is a scandal with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And there's talk of a whistleblower. Uh, I was doing an interview earlier today and I was explaining to people that uh, James Comer, I think it's James Comer. Is it James Comer? Congressman Comer from Kentucky, who is the chairman of the Oversight Committee in the U.S. House, which is a very powerful position. He is paired up with the ranking minority member uh, of judiciary, uh, Chuck Grassley. And Chuck Grassley has been around literally forever. He's been around for about 50 years. And he is he is incredibly, incredibly uh, committed to whistleblowers and to helping whistleblowers. And he has great staff that have done this for decades, literally decades. And so Comer and Grassley sent a letter saying to the FBI, I think it was, or maybe to the Department of Justice saying, hey, um, there is this, there is this, uh, reports of this um, situation where um, uh, there was an informant uh, who was uh, in an FBI investigation, and we want to find it, get to the bottom of it. Now, the, the couple of things. Obviously, when Grassley's asking, that means his people know what they're looking at, the whistleblower. And so it's a big deal. And Comer has a lot of power and oversight. So it's a big deal. Here's what I here's what you need to know. I'm not sure it'll come to anything because the swamp covers up the swamp. But here's what I want to tell you. I think we're coming into a period and I was looking for some polling. You know, a Congress is polling, polling at an all-time low now. About 8% of the people have a good opinion of Congress, which you got to wonder who those people are. Uh, but what you need to know is we're into drain the swamp territory. Now, what does that mean? Well, in 2016, November, maybe early December, but it was before the new year. It was still 2016. Donald Trump did an interview and they were talking about how, oh, well, Trump, he may not drain the swamp after all. He said that, but now his people are going to go and they're lobbying and they're doing this and that and the other thing. And he did an interview. And in the interview, he said uh, he couldn't believe how powerful drain the swamp was when he said it out on the stump. He said, I just didn't know that that, that phrase was going to be so strong. People just reacted to it. And he went on to talk about that a little bit. Here's what I want to say. Drain the swamp is the most powerful sentiment 
in American politics right now. Because when you look up and you think they're raising interest rates, they did a couple of days ago. Our inflation is still going through the roof. It is. Jobs are going away. They are. Things are going in the wrong direction. Uh huh. It looks like there might be nuclear war. Perhaps all these things people feel are going in the wrong direction, but they recognize, they see them as problems from the swamp. And then they look up and they see the swamp and they're fighting. The swamp is fighting over whether the members of the U.S. Congress should be allowed to trade individual stocks on a day-to-day basis when they know insider information that makes it so they can either get out before a, a, stock, a stock tanks or, more likely, buy if they need to. And so they're fighting over that. And America, the country's looking out there, they're going, what? You're fighting over whether you're allowed to basically cheat? What's wrong with you people? What's wrong with you people? That's how, they, that's how they're looking up. That's what they're thinking as they look up. And more and more people, whether it's the COVID misdirection, whether it's the lies being told at the White House podium, when the White House uh, press uh, secretary said, oh, the, you know, 90% uh, immigration, illegal immigration is down 90%. She said with a straight face. Then she came back the next day and said, I was actually referring to this one little part of this one little piece of this one little thing. That's down which is that old uh, uh, Mark Twain who said there's such a thing as uh, lies, damn lies and statistics. And that's, you know, she's using a statistic, changing the way you talk about something to try to make it seem thus. Anyway, it's um, here's what we know. Here's what you need to know. More and more people are sick of the swamp and they're going to drain the swamp. And the, the candidates and the forces that seem to be focused on drain the swamp are going to gain strength. And that's Trump. That's Trump. That's where Trump is positioned, mostly because the swamp ran him out of town and the swamp is trying to rein him in and the swamp is attacking him all the time. And the swamp is this. The swamp is that. If you're Donald Trump, the election is positioning itself. The only thing better was when it was clear that Hillary was milking her post as secretary of state and as ex uh, first lady and future president to raise money for the Clinton Foundation and other things. The only thing better. And instead, Trump's got Biden, whose families are multimillionaires and live in large off of what? The swamp. Drain the swamp. It's coming. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Ted Martin here on a Pro America Report. That's what you need to know. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview. My listeners uh, know, Glenn, that I'm a big fan of books. I love reading and all, but I, I got this book. It's a Post Hill Press book, one of my favorite publishers, uh, Anthony Zaccardi and those guys. And um, because it's 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 not that it's funny. It's amazing to me. I, I have only been to Aspen, Colorado once, but it's got a, a it's got a kind of um, uh, aura about it as a place that people go. And it is really nice to be there. I was there in the uh, in the non winter. I don't know if it was the spring or uh, all the way into the summer. It was not hot, um, but it, there was no there was no snow on the ground anyway. So, well, our, our guest is uh, Glenn Beaton uh, and Glenn Beaton was a columnist at the Aspen Times uh, for almost, uh, I guess, seven or eight years. And he got fired uh, by email 
uh, on Christmas Eve. That's also a fun part of the story. He he had practiced law. He'd been uh, an engineer. He'd done all kinds of things before. Well, he's written a book on this uh, experience and also um, it, it all his columns what he's written and about Aspen. There's a sort of cautionary tale about uh, a city changing dramatically. So first of all, welcome, uh, Glenn Beaton. How are you, sir? Good morning, Ed. Good to be here. Now, you were you if you were um, these other things, you practice law and uh, at a high level uh, engineer, you'd been a writer of some. Uh, but had you written um, in your in your life and career when you started writing for the Aspen Times? I believe it was a weekly column. Correct me if I'm wrong. And you but had you written like that in your life? Because that's it takes a, a, a discipline. It's harder than people think to week in and week out, write a column. No, I hadn't written that sort of format before. Uh, I did a lot of writing, obviously, as a lawyer. I practiced appellate law, uh, in, including up to the Supreme Court. So I was acquainted with how to write briefs. But I didn't know much about how to write a newspaper column, other than having read a lot of newspaper columns. It kind of came naturally, though. The thing about a newspaper column is you're word limited. Typically, you're limited to seven, right. 800, maybe right. 900 words. And so that brings a certain discipline to the writing. I was acquainted with that because as a lawyer, you're limited in the number of pages that a brief can be. You know, you can be 11 pages or 14 pages, whatever. The right, 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 right. That's on that particular on that particular motion. So you learn a real economy of words. And that's something I pride myself on now. Uh, I like to think every word tells. I yeah. don't do uh, a lot of roundabout. <laughs> There's not a lot of circumlocution. Uh, yeah. It's very direct and uh, compact the way I write. I like it. It's one of my favorite activities. I, I see it more as a hobby than anything else, but it's a hobby I love. And that's what got me interested in the book when a publisher approached me, actually, with the idea for the book. Uh, and I'm sorry, I did all that. I'm just talking and talking. Our guest is Glenn Beaton, the author. His book is called High Attitude, High Attitude, uh, The Liberal Takeover of Aspen, uh, a Post Hill Press, uh, April of 2023, just out uh, a few weeks. Um, and all right, so you're writing this weekly column. You, 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 did you formally, I forget in the, in the, I remember reading that you, you retired ish, um, where you totally retired. So now you're retired and you're sort of relaxing and settling in and you're writing a column. Um, but it got, uh, popular slash controversial quickly. Is that safe to say? Yeah, it got uh, controversial pretty quickly. I was, uh, I filled in for a friend who was writing sort of a token conservative guest column for the Aspen Times. She ultimately went on to bigger and better things. But uh, I was intended to kind of take her place as a token conservative. Uh, you know, the uh, I like to analogize to the Harlem Globetrotters. Remember, there was this poor team they played, uh, yeah, the Washington, yeah. Washington Generals, I think they were right. called. Right. Well, the Washington Generals' uh, whole role in life was to lose every game to the Harlem Globetrotters. So I was supposed to be the Washington Generals to the rest of the newspapers, uh, Harlem Globetrotters. I was never supposed to win. But the thing took off. Readers really liked the column. And after a while, it was generating more clicks than front page news, which isn't saying that much. It's a small newspaper. Right. But still, uh, the thing really took off and people loved it. The editors and the Aspen establishment, not so much, though, because I I came at it from a conservative angle and I was supposed to be a token conservative, not a successful conservative. So <laughs> that's the story that led up to my uh, Christmas Eve 
firing by email. Yeah. So, so uh, again, high attitude, the liberal takeover of Aspen. Uh, Glenn Beaton is the author. And let me make sure to uh, alert you that uh, he, he is continuing writing, even though they stopped him from writing for the paper. He at the Aspenbeat.com, the Aspenbeat.com. You'll see his writings there. And uh, and currently he's got something posted just from a few days ago. Um, so now uh, talk about Aspen. You're, you're as a, it's a different thing to be a writer every week. You got to write on something. You're writing writing on people, you're writing on uh, policies, writing on politics. What's the, did Aspen change dramatically in your time there? Or were you sort of arriving at a time when Aspen had already changed? And I guess maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe Aspen didn't change, but I suspect like a lot of places, it was more normal. And over time it became very, very liberal because Aspen would, well, describe it now. Is it, isn't it, 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 it feels stereotypically to say it's like one of these crazy liberal bastions of wealth. Yeah, it is. Uh, maybe the craziest, most <laughs> liberal and most wealthy of those bastions that I can think of. The place is just over the top in terms of, of wealth. You know, housing goes for somewhere between uh, four and six thousand uh, dollars a square foot. Wow. So, you know, you're looking for or you're looking at a thousand square foot condo for four million bucks. Wow. It hasn't always been that way. Uh, yes, where it was at the time that I moved there, that was uh, 14 <laughs> years ago. Right. It had already started uh, far down that sordid path. Uh, it's just gotten worse now in degree, not really in nature. But the change was really back in probably the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Hmm. The place obviously was conservative to begin with. It was a silver mining town. You know, what's going to be more conservative than right, that? Right. And then it became a ghost town for the first part of the 20th century. And then it was refounded in a very interesting way by a Chicago industrialist named Walter Pepke and his wife, Elizabeth. They were German uh, immigrants, very, very successful with a company called Container Corporation of America. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they fell in love with the place, came out here, bought up about half the land just by paying back taxes, wow. and linked up with a bunch of veterans. This was just after World War II, a bunch of veterans from the 10th Mountain Division and started Aspen Skiing Company. I see. Wow. Wow. So that's we got that. So that's you're talking really about um, 60 or 70 years since the new Aspen. All right. But so now it gets richer and richer and gets more and more liberal. But but are the politics liberal? Sometimes rich people, when they have a place like this, they, they want to lock it down. And maybe they did. I mean, what did you find? Uh, what are the politics there? The politics are extremely liberal. <laughs> Just to give you one example, uh, Colorado legalized marijuana, I remember, uh, what, five or six years ago or something. Right. The vote uh, statewide was relatively close. It wasn't a uh, barn burner, but I think it was something like 55, 45. In Aspen, it was 80-20. <laughs> the, sheriff, uh, the sheriff for Pitkin County, which includes Aspen, has always been pro-drug, pro-legalization, basically pro-drug. Right. Uh, they, uh, the one uh, Bob Broadus uh, had to check into a rehab clinic at one oh. point. Wow. Uh, he, ad- he advocated the legalization of all drugs, including heroin, fentanyl, you mm-hmm. name it. The DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, you know, they, they conduct drug raids in Aspen as well as <laughs> everywhere else. But it's interesting that when the DEA conducts a drug raid, normally they give a heads up to local law enforcement just so they know what's coming down. Oh. They don't do that in Aspen. <laughs> because they can't trust them not to tell the drug dealers? 
Exactly. Wow. And there have been several instances where it very much looks like the drug dealers got tipped off. Wow. That's amazing. That, that, that's a, that's a fan. That, that is the best example uh, of that. Um, I wanted to ask, I was fascinated by, again, the book is high attitude. Um, the, the chapter you wrote on um, the, the, uh, I, how to say the, I think I say the economy of skiing. It turns out skiing's not a, it's not a very good business, right? And Aspen and a lot of these places, therefore, it's not the skiing, it's the real estate around the skiing that matters, right? I mean, that, and, and, and all that goes with it. And that, that was interesting to me in terms of who becomes the players in a town, because it's not, it's not the outdoorsmen then who care. Uh, it's the guys and gals running the businesses and putting in the five star hotels and the, and the high end restaurants, right? Yeah, that's right. Skiing isn't really a huge business. It's not nearly as big as you might think based on the publicity that it gets. Aspen Skiing Company uh, does maybe $100 million a year. You know, that's not a huge business. It's owned by the Crown family, a very wealthy family out of Chicago that also owns General Dynamics. So uh, Aspen Skiing Company is not the largest jewel in the Crown's crown. Right. The uh, uh, we're again we're well I, I like what we did there uh, we're uh, we're talking with Glenn Beaton and his book uh, is uh, from uh, excuse me from Post Hill Press and uh, it's called High Attitude the Liberal Takeover of Aspen I'm I'm trying to find my notes yeah I I, I wanted to get this this one um, Hunter Thompson made this famous trip to. Aspen, right? I mean, Hunter Thompson seemed to just make famous trips. He go, he's like the, he was like the uh, more, um, I don't know how to say it. He was, uh, he was living out a kind of um, a Hemingway esque thing, but he was kind of maybe because it was m- more uh, modern. Uh, he was, I don't know, rougher, and it wasn't quite as uh, romantic. It was tougher. But tell me about Hunter Thompson's uh, uh, Aspen connection and and what it means all the way down to today. Well, Hunter Thompson, in my judgment, was a bum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think he was a very good writer. You know, right. he, he certainly wasn't a journalist at all. He, his stories were contrived. They were staged. Right. But he came to Aspen in the late 60s, stayed for a couple of weeks, came back again uh, somewhere in the mid-70s and bought a property about 10 miles from Aspen and set up what he called his uh, armed fortress where he had a huge arsenal of guns and he played with them. And he also played with dynamite around the ranch. Mm -hmm. So he ran for sheriff too. He ran for sheriff of Pitkin County. He won the Aspen vote, but he lost countywide. So he didn't become sheriff, but he was a character. He finally ended his existence on this earth uh, in his kitchen. One day, his uh, daughter and son-in-law were in the next room and they heard a bottle uh, fall to the floor in the kitchen and explode. And eventually they went and checked on things, although they didn't run because, you know, apparently broken, uh, falling bottles in the kitchen were a common occurrence there at the, the ranch house. Right, right. So anyway, when they did go, they found it wasn't a falling bottle. It was a gunshot and he'd blown his brains out. Came out later that uh, he did so while he was on the telephone with his wife at the time. So piece of work, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Glenn Beaton is our guest, and and uh, again, his he still writes the AspenBeat.com is his uh, website. Um, 
So how do you and this is a serious question. How do you live in Aspen after all these writings? Because you clearly didn't hold back. And I bet you didn't hold back when you wrote the column. But if I had to bet, I'd say sort of being canceled from the column, even if it was Christmas Eve, even if it hurt, you probably are freer now. You write whatever you want. So how do you live in Aspen? Are you are you uh, 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 feared and loathed by half the community? Well, at least, at more. least <laughs> um, you ask how I live in Aspen. I actually moved out of oh. city limits. Okay. So I live in a fairly remote spot, some ways out of town, which seems a little safer to me. I used to get death threats. I would regularly get death threats. Wow. Uh, when I went to a restaurant, I was always careful to make reservations, not in my own name, because <laughs> I didn't want them to know it was me until after they'd prepared and served me my food. And then they saw it on my credit card and gave me dirty looks. So, yeah, there was there was some friction for sure. It's still, as you mentioned at the outset, a beautiful spot. You said it wasn't hot when you were here. It's never hot when you're here. Yeah, right, right. Oh. You know, the, high, the, the summertime highs are going to be 80 at the highest and mm. fairly dry. And if you go out to dinner al fresco, you're going to need a sweater at night. It's a fantastic place. It's a beautiful place. But the people are pretty screwed up. I think it's a, a sad uh, portrait of a path that a lot of America is headed down. Hmm. Well, it's a it's a it's a, a a as I'm sure you know, your writing style, it kind of moves along, like you said, a columnist uh, does. And it's uh, entertaining and fascinating. And I think people I, like me, I, I bet a lot of people, they just know of Aspen. They might have been there once or not realized this sort of inside. So uh, it's really fun. So thank you. Postal Press again. Uh, Glenn Beaton's book uh, will put up on social media. It's High Attitude, The Liberal Takeover of Aspen, a celebrity cesspool, drugs and reverse racism collide. That's the uh, that's there's a, ma- a mouthful there. Thanks very much, Glenn. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. All right, we will uh, take a break. I'll put up some links on uh, on social media and on the website to get to his book. Uh, it's really fun and moves along. And we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, writes a weekly column, runs over at townhall.com. John will be a little jealous when he listens uh, to uh, the show. I guess it was yesterday. Uh, we had another townhall.com uh, uh, columnist on, uh, Vijay Jayaraji, who is uh, writing on climate change. So maybe John will be jealous. We'll see if he can live up to uh, the competition. On the debt ceiling, GOP should unplug DOJ. John and Andy Schlafly's column this week. Uh, welcome back, John. John, how are you? I'm great, Ed. And, well, uh, uh, you know, uh, the debt scene, the debt ceiling <laughs> standoff is the, the talk of Washington right now. So I guess we had a timely subject for the conference. Yeah, you're cer- certainly on to- You're on topic. But, John, I, I read this. I mean, the- aren't there only just a couple solutions? I mean, at the end of the day, don't we go through this whole thing and then sort of everybody blinks and they pass something? Isn't that what happens? Well, uh, you know, what we don't want is to, you know, furlough federal workers and then give them money, pay them for the time they didn't work. We have (laughs) enough of that already. So, uh, uh, but no, first of all, let's, let's realize that it's theater because there's not going to be a default, you know, forget that that's not going to happen because the treasury is always able to prioritize, uh, payment of the, uh, national debt. But, you know, 
the pos- the only possibility is perhaps some other payments might be delayed uh, if we don't have an agreement by the you know, by the deadline which Janet Yellen is saying is the first of June, but it's probably much later than that. Well, right. I but think the that, point uh, is yeah, we elected uh, a Republican House, and they need to, you know, do give the voters what the voters demanded when they elected Republicans to the House of Representatives, and that is to put a limit to rein in federal spending. I mean, that is crucial. If they cannot do that, then we've wasted our time with elections. They've got to do that. Well, that ceiling is the time to do it. It's got to be done. And Biden is just going to have to yield on that because the House Republicans obviously stuck together uh, to pass this bill. And this is no, it's Biden is going to have to eat crow. He's going to have to be humiliated. That's what's going to happen here. Uh, John is the is the uh, uh, let me first let me first ask you this this question. Um, uh, I was looking back at famous. <laughs> it sounds like a talk show, uh, uh, a uh, trivia show. Famous uh, Donald Trump sayings uh, for five hundred, uh, Alex. And it, the one that I was looking at was "Drain the Swamp." Trump used yeah. that in October of twenty sixteen uh, to great effect, I think. And he even commented that it was um, he was surprised at how well it was received, how much energy it got. John, my first question is: I, I feel like the nation just just despises everyone in Congress and in, in power right now. Somehow, yeah. somehow the combination of the bad economy and inflation and then ineptness and social media, they just despise the, the American uh, government, uh, federal government right now. Well, I, I, I think there's good reason for that. And as what we say in our column, you know, the swampiest agency and the agency most in need of draining is the Department of Justice. Now, that's perhaps a new thought to a lot of Republican-leaning voters, but the idea that the Department of Justice could, you know, devote its energies to effectively, uh, you know, disqualifying the leading Republican candidate for president and with criminal, with a whole series of criminal prosecutions, I mean, that, you know, liberals like to talk about norms. That violates every norm in the book. We can't let that happen, and yet that's exactly what they're doing under Merrick Garland's uh, leadership at the Department of Justice. And so what we're proposing is that's got to be part of the debt ceiling battle. The Republicans have got to cut the money off to stop these lawyers at the Department of Justice from what they're doing. Uh, John, um, the uh, has it ever been done? Has anything similar to this in these kinds of fights has it ever been done? Do you do you, uh, do you know? Well, as as what ever been done? Yes, have we ever won a debt ceiling battle? <laughs> well, uh, that's one way to say it. Yes, you know, uh, we have had. Uh, you know, it's a little confusing because uh, all these periodic battles. There's the the battle over the debt ceiling is one, but then a battle over passing the funding bill were usually known as the omnibus or the cromnibus or something like that. That's another one, because if the spending bill isn't passed, then the agencies are not allowed to spend money. Now, that's not what this is, because the spending bills were all passed in the lame duck Congress before the Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy ever became speaker. So the funding bills are in place now until September 30th. And even though we have a new Congress, there's nothing they can do about that. 
But what they can do is uh, attach conditions to raising the debt ceiling because as everyone, every one of your listeners should know that one of the core powers of the House of Rep- or of Congress is to authorize borrowing money on the credit of the United States. I mean, you can, you know, all your readers should whip out their pocket constitution and turn to Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1. It's right there. And if if the Congress does not authorize borrowing money on the credit of the United States, you know, Janet Yellen can't do anything. And, um, you know, the, the, the well is dry. There's nothing they can do. And so they've got to do whatever it takes to satisfy the House of Representatives to agree to borrow more money. And that's where we are now. Now, Kevin McCarthy put together a package. You know, I'm sure your listeners could come up with different priorities for funds that need to be cut. And uh, we're proposing cutting funds to the Department of Justice. That's not in this package. But in the big picture, you know, they've got to cut, cut, cut. Uh, And because... Biden's spending is, uh, no, that's why we're in the mix, the mix we're in. I mean, the the mess we're in. And Republicans were elected to cut spending and they've got to do that. The, um, uh, uh, the, um, reality, uh, it's the wrong word. Uh, The usual, the usual path on this is fight, 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 talk, talk, talk. And then ultimately, uh, cave right is there concretely john uh is it is it is there a way to see you, you know again you do you, you reference this um um standing up here in the, in the justice department is there a is there a uh uh joe manchin uh and senator cinema uh a play here that gets you some senate support do you see something i mean I, again i don't know why the senate w- would and the president would you know ever yield to the house they just let hang them out like they do and the media would help um, well, uh, the Senate is uh, closely divided, and if you consider the fact that uh, 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 two senators were out of commission and in the hospital for the most of this most of 2023 to date, you know that that really handicapped the Democrats for uh, control of what they want to do, and so there are some issues that if uh, could you know, possibly pick off one or two Democrats in either house. And we've got to focus on that. Um, now we're about to face the end of title 42. Now that could be an issue because all forecasts are, we're going to be overrun. You know, there's thousands of Venezuelans lined up at the border right now, ready to cross. Mm-hmm. And there's been thousands of Chinese people who somehow made it to Mexico and they're ready to cross. I mean, so there's a lot of things that could cause some de- a couple of Democrats, and all we need is a couple in either house, to cave. I mean, Republicans are not the only ones who can cave. There are some Democrats who can cave, too. And Joe Manchin is in big trouble because his biggest threat to reelection is Governor Jim Justice, who announced he's running. And that means Manchin may well, you know, his, he's not long for this world. Mm-hmm. He's going to be gone mm-hmm. unless he finds something, some way to, uh, and, and it was mentioned, don't forget, who was the deciding vote on the uh, outrageous 
so-called, I hate to even use the words, Inflation Reduction Act, because it was the exact opposite. Uh, and uh, Manchin was sold a bill of goods. He was told it had permitting reform, and it turns out it didn't. Mm-hmm. He was told it was going to get paved the way for a pipeline in West Virginia. It turns out that's not happening. And so he's got plenty of reason to... Uh, Plenty of reason to not do business with Chuck Schumer, hmm. uh, especially if he's not going to be reelected. Yeah. All right, John Schlafly, I'm out of time. Uh, thank you. I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm putting a, too much hope on uh, on uh, Senator Joe Manchin, but uh, building mansions in the sky, as they say. All right, John. Uh, John Schlafly is uh, uh, the columnist on the debt ceiling. GOP should unplug the DOJ. He and Andy Schlafly, check it out. It gives a, a play a playbook and gives some idea on how to move forward in these next couple of months uh, as there is a fight over the debt ceiling. We'll see if the Republicans have the stomach for it. Thank you, John Schlafly. Laughly, as always, uh, we will uh, post that article, his column up on the social media, and uh, we will have a lot more when we get back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The immortal William Shakespeare wrote these famous lines in Romeo and Juliet. Romeo says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. The implication is that we should judge people by who they actually are rather than by what name they're called. Yet one conservative speaker is being persecuted by academics who clearly haven't read up on their Shakespeare. Sharice Trump is in no way related to Donald Trump. A quick Internet search makes this fact abundantly clear. Yet when young conservatives of Texas asked Sharice Trump to speak at Trinity University in San Antonio, the school administration required her to purchase special event insurance in order to speak on campus, all because her last name is Trump. The requirement had nothing to do with the topic of Sharice's speech. As executive director of a group called Speech First, she was coming on campus to talk about free speech. Yet speakers on much more controversial topics like critical race theory and immigration were given no such requirement. In an email to the Young Conservatives Group, an administration official explained that there is a potential for others to mistakenly believe that Sharice Trump is related to Donald Trump, which may attract opposing groups. In other words, anything with the word Trump on it must be punished, even if entirely unrelated to the Donald. I wish there was a better ending to this sad story, but Sharice's organization did end up buying the unnecessary insurance policy rather than fight the school. Nevertheless, this incident provides a sad commentary on the state of our nation's college campuses. Free speech can be punished merely for the appearance of associating with a prominent leader of the conservative movement. Rather than targeting specific viewpoints, institutions of higher learning should be welcoming different viewpoints to expose their students to as many perspectives as possible. The pursuit of truth, after all, is impossible where dissension is not permitted. To punish even those that bear the same last name as a dissenter is simply beyond the pale. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Political correctness is no longer simply about restricting speech. This tool for tyranny has led to employees being fired, pastors silenced, small businesses closed, and truth suppressed. 
Thankfully, the politically correct can't censor the work at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you? At phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, wrapping things up today, uh, we will, um, let's see here. What did I want to tell you? Let me look for my notes. Oh, uh, great. We got a, I got a great interview uh, coming up this week. Um, I think it'll be tomorrow. Glenn Beaton. Glenn Beaton is an author, Post Hill Press author, who is um, uh, from Aspen, Colorado. And he started to, um, he started to uh, write, a, he wrote a column. Actually, no, it didn't start. He wrote a column for seven years, uh, seven years. And um, after seven years, he got fired on, on uh, Christmas Eve because he was basically the whole time he was conservative and he got really popular and it made him crazy. And I, he wrote a book. It's, it's phenomenal. It's really, really interesting. Um, and, uh, and very, uh, very, um, funny and, po- uh, and poignant at the same time. All right. I know what I wanted to finish up on. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to preview this for you. The ACLU, the ACLU has gotten completely out of control. The ACLU, which used to sort of fight for civil liberties, now they're on the side basically of any chance they can get to be for the kid against their parents. That parents shouldn't know if you have an abortion. Parents shouldn't know if you want to transition to another gender, another sex. And the ACLU in Rhode Island, in this case, uh, uh, jumped in and tried to say, a parents shouldn't need, shouldn't get to know. Parents should not get to know. They should be blocked from knowing about this transgender training. I tell you, one of the great um, uh, rifts that is happening in the country, and it's being done intentionally, is the idea, the idea of uh, uh, of separating the kids from their parents. It's very common. It's a strategy, and it's very effective. And you see it on abortion. You see it on COVID. And they're and the goal is to get you away from your because they're going to educate you, and the education is going to be what they want. It's a it's a real problem. All right. So that's something we got to watch. All right. Uh, that's all I got today. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our great producer. Thank you to Ryan Hyde, associate producer. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Go to at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, Ed Martin Live on Facebook, all those places you can find these interviews and more. Support the people who come on. At least check them out. If you uh, buy their books or uh, pay attention to them, that is always helpful. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.